0: From the very beginning, we have wandered. We have searched the world for meaning and a higher purpose. He is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name. I told you we were going to talk about the name of Jesus today. Um, So I, I have loved all of the years that God has afforded me the opportunity to be one of the pastors at Rolling Hills Community Church. And many of you kind of know a little bit of the story of how this campus of Rolling Hills came to be. There's been a church here for over 100 years and a little over a year ago, almost a year and a half um, this church that I was serving on staff in, uh, in Franklin merged with the church that was here to form one congregation um, so that we could continue reaching this community together. And I'll tell you, for all of those first 11 years on staff at Rolling Hills Community Church, I would have qualified myself as like... A solid number two guy, like like that was that was my role on Sunday mornings. When the lead pastor went on like family vacation, or when he went on a mission trip, or when he went like um, just wanted a little break from normal Sunday morning communication, then then I could step into that gap and fulfill that role and be the communicator on Sunday. Now, in those eleven years, I got to tell you, I did zero Easter Sundays and zero Christmas Eves, and this is why. Because when you're the lead pastor of a congregation, those are the Sundays that you're always there. Now, like I'm a rock star at 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day. Like I've got a lot of experience doing those, but this is only my second time ever last year. And this one being like the guy on an Easter Sunday. And so I get a little bit more nervous in general because like, this is our day. Like this is it. Like this is the one that counts. If this Sunday doesn't count in the life of the church, then none of them do. And we could all sleep in and be first in line at brunch because this is the one that everything that we believe about scripture and not only that, but everything that we believe about real life all hinges on what we think about this day, the day that in our church calendar history, we have chosen to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ split history in two, that Jesus Christ was not just some great miracle worker do-gooder, but that Jesus Christ, son of the living God, not only died, but came back to life. And it's our, it's our key question in life. In fact, it's the most important question in life is how do we respond to the fact that Jesus Christ came back to life in all the years that I was at Rolling Kills in the Franklin campus. I worked a lot with family ministry, like middle school, high school, kids, preschool. And so we would go away to this annual conference. It was called the Orange Conference. That's another story for another day. And it was in Atlanta because all good conferences for Christians are either in Atlanta or Dallas, Fort Worth. And so we go there. It's like Jerusalem for us. Like we head down there because we want to go and check out all the ministry resources. And one year I show up at this conference. They do crazy big productions. You're in like this, like huge AT&T center. It's kind of like Bridge stone or something, thousands of people in the room. And they, they do these funny things on stage before the real people come up and teach us stuff. And they did this thing where they invited people from the crowd to raise their hand, like volunteers. Like, I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Somebody just shrank down in their seat because you had a, you had like a literal pant. Breathe easy. I'm not going to do that. Like nobody is going to have to raise their hand and come on stage with me. But they did that at the Bridgestone. They, they brought people up on stage and, and one at a time, they would put a box over their head, not like a create just like a cardboard box over the top of their head. They could breathe. It wasn't dangerous. Like there, are literally 8000 people in the room and they're standing on stage with a box on their head And the question is will you say yes? to whatever question we put up on the screen, but you've got a box on your head so you can't see what the question is. So 8,000 people in the room, we know what the question is, but the person on stage with the box on their head, they don't know what the question is. First guy gets up, box goes on head, everybody's like cheering, say yes, say yes. It's weird, I don't know why we do this. But like, We're all excited, like I feel, so, I feel so energized inside, like I'm excited, I want the guy to say yes, and the question pops up on the screen. Can we turn your pants into shorts? And the guy with the box on his head, he's just standing there and they stick a microphone up the bottom. It's like really, it's really low tech. Microphone goes up. Yes. Like he's, he's reluctant. You raised your hand, dude. Like, what are you thinking? Of course you're gonna. Yes. And then they come out with some scissors and they cut his jeans off. Like on the stage. Oh, it gets, it gets better. Like the next question pops up, like some girl on stage. Hey, can we have all the money in your purse? I said, th- I don't know what happened afterwards. I didn't know her. She was sitting down on the floor. We were in the nosebleed seats. I'm looking at like, did they really take her money? I just don't understand if that's possible, but they did. They like pulled money out. They're like, we're going to keep this girl's money. Okay, so here's this. Can we change your profile picture? you're like, what? Like, you don't want to turn over your phone. Like, I won't even leave my phone on the table at restaurants with some of my buddies because I'm afraid of what they might do to it. Like, but yeah, they could, can we change your profile picture or your status? And then towards the end of the conference, they do this every single, this girl comes up we think it's just more of the same old, same old, same old girl comes up, box goes on head. And then all of a sudden, 8,000 people in the room gasp when we see the question pop up on the screen. Will you marry me? And we're like blown away, is this planned? Like, I don't know what's going on here. Then out from the very back, walks this guy down on one knee and she's like reluctantly in the moment, Like really nervous about what she's saying yes to. And she's like, yes. And then to pull the box off the head, she sees it on the screen. Will you marry me? She turns around. There's a dude. He's already got the ring. So clearly this wasn't just a moment. Like something had been planned out behind the scenes for this girl to say yes in that moment. You've already said a bunch of yeses today. You've said yes to coming to church. Like somebody either asked you or maybe you just felt like, okay, I should. Like, you know, it's Easter Sunday and I've got this new outfit. Really, I just wanted an excuse to go. You said yes to coming here today. Thank you. You you said yes to whatever you, like you said yes to what you were going to wear today, which meant that you also said no to a bunch of other things that you did not wear today. Some of you are regretting your choice a little bit. Me, I'm kind of (laughs) warm. But I matched my little boy today. Like we're wearing matching bow ties. Like it's kind of, yeah, matching pink bow ties. You don't see him in here for us to match because he's like hanging out in the kids' ministry stuff. We said yes recently, my wife and I. Um, actually, a terrible yes. Um, we said yes to bunnies. Um, so we now are the proud family. Yeah, we've got two bunnies. Oh, there's one. This is Ethel. Um, and she has a playmate named Fred, which we listen, we understand what may happen in our lives. And we just want to extend to you the opportunity at any given moment when you're ready um, in 38 days if you would like to also be a bunny owner just box over your head will you say yes yes you will um you say, some of y'all judge me now. You're like, why did they say yes to that? I've lost respect for him as a pastor. We did. And it's sometimes because like as a dad, you cultivate this idea of like, I I want my children to grow up with the idea of some yeses in life and just some wins, but also some responsibilities that attach to that. But then you have to balance it out because you want them to grow up with an appropriate amount of no's in their life so that they can understand how to handle rejection. Like sometimes I say no to my kids simply because I feel like they haven't heard it in a little bit and it's good for their overall development if they learn to handle no at age 10 so they're not crippling and unable to do it at age 30 you know someone who didn't get told no enough in their childhood and if you don't know someone who did not get told who wasn't told no enough in their childhood um, you're probably the person who wasn't told no enough in your childhood and and that's it but yes yes and no they're they're Probably, like I would stake my claim on it, two of the more powerful words in our English language yes or, 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 or no. And today, the question that we ask posed in scripture I, I think it is an opportunity not to hear the most powerful yes, um, but to give your most powerful yes. Um, the best one that you could ever give. And so we, we start to land in Scripture. And as we do, I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 20. Your yes has a limit. There's a, there's a, there's a limit Um, and a boundary that you've set internally to the number of things that you'll say yes to, box on head, you don't know what's going on uh, uh, around you. Like There's a limit to the number of things that you'll say yes to without all of the information that you need provided to you. And everybody's yes is different, Like, but you have a boundary. You have a, well, I'm only gonna say yes to a certain number of things, especially if I don't know what the outcome of that yes may be. We have a threshold, like a personal one, of the amount of yes that we're willing to lay down on the line and and, and, and risk for someone. And so we ask ourselves, did you say yes to the resurrection? Did you say yes to believing that there's a lot of other things in scripture that are that are easier to say yes to than this one. This is this is a hard one. This is a this is more than just can I cut your jeans into shorts? This is a hey, are you going to spend the rest of your life affirming the fact that you said yes to that question? Because at the end of yes on a stage with a box on a head, the guy who got his like um, jeans cut off into shorts, he could go put on another pair of pants. But the girl who said yes, here's what I'm hoping is that it was a yes that lasted forever. And that she continues to say yes to on the daily. And that the guy who was willing to pop that question in that setting, 8,000 people on looking, oh, that was so sweet. Like, we were so excited. We cheered. I didn't know those people, but I hooped and hollered for them getting engaged more than I would my best friend. Because it was the moment that we were excited about what I hope is that the yes has some yeses cost more than others. This one, this resurrection one, this is a big one. There's a historian, he's renowned New Testament scholar, his name is Gary Habermas, and over a period of 28 years, from 1975 to 2003, he collected 1,400 of the world's most critically acclaimed scholarly works confirming for us the resurrection, and he didn't limit himself to just people that affirm the Bible and say, oh yes, we believe the Bible. He collected 1,400 scholarly works from people that are both like, completely liberal against any part of this being authoritative, and then also completely in support of the fact that this is the divinely inspired Word of God. And he found that virtually every single scholar, when they disagreed on so much else could agree on four really important things. The first is that Jesus Christ died by Roman crucifixion. There was a time in our history when we questioned whether or not he was an actual person, whether he lived during the actual time that the Bible says he lived and he endured what the Bible actually says that he endured. But now this guy has pulled together all these critically acclaimed scholarly sources to say for us, yes, in fact, everyone agrees throughout history that Jesus Christ did in fact live and he did in fact die by Roman crucifixion. The other uh, thing that they all agree on is that his disciples believed he rose from the dead and appeared to them so much so that they were willing to suffer and die themselves for the fact that they believed it and said yes to it scholars agree that those guys really believed that it. it was not a divine conspiracy it was not like some big huge cover-up where they huddled around in a room and said let's hide the body no like we really believe that they believed that Jesus Christ came back to life. Scholars also agree, like those who don't agree on anything else, they agree that there was a guy named the Apostle Paul who at one point persecuted Christians suddenly became a Christian and a leading voice in Christianity because he believed he had seen the risen Jesus. And they all agree that there was a skeptic, a brother of Jesus, whose name was James, was suddenly converted after he saw the risen Jesus. So we get together and we say, yeah, on both sides of the spectrum, we will agree that there was a person named Jesus who died on a Roman cross. And we'll believe that there was all these other people who gave their yes, who gave their lives, everything that they did from that point forward was bound by the fact that they said, yes, Jesus Christ did in fact come back to life. Habernas also found that about 75% of scholars also agree. Both sides of the spectrum, those who are in support of scripture and those who are adamantly opposed to Christianity also agree. 75% of them also say there was an empty tomb that at one point belonged to Jesus. We're no longer uh, uh, accusing them of just misplacing where the grave was. We're no longer saying, oh, that is an empty tomb, but it probably was. Like, we're literally believing that all these scholars come together to say, yep, in fact, there actually is an empty tomb. People want today to claim. Jesus, as Jesus, keep saying the name. There's no other name. Like they want to claim this name as an important historical figure who said a a lot of really great things, who defined for us a, a, a real picture of what love is, who who gave us a better understanding of what peace could be. But do they really believe the people who want to claim Jesus as a historical figure who said good things and did good things? Do they really believe that he was also, in fact, a martyr who came to pay a sacrificial price? for my sin and your sin and ultimately whose resurrected life paved the way for us to live forever? That's the ultimate question. And I would say that you can't believe in one truly. You can't believe in and understand one truly. You can't truly dive in and understand and grapple with the love and the peace and the miracles and the life of Jesus without also coming to the point in your life where you're also willing to say yes to the resurrection of Jesus. And so today... What we do is is we prepare ourselves to give a a, a very permanent, once and for all, very committed yes. Or just be really, really confident in your no. And Father, as we open your word, um, and as we dive into what scripture says about your truth, and as we understand the Savior and the sacrifice that you gave to us and that you made for us, what I pray is... That you would, by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit, um, take away any of the messed up words I might say. And ultimately, you do the work of speaking to the hearts of people in a way that only you can, because you're good and because you're real. And we say yes to you today. Amen. All, all series long, we've been kind of launching out into every single one of these messages titled Jesus Way, Truth, Life um, by, by reciting John 14, 6. And today I want to take it a step further by going into John fourteen seven, because Jesus tells his disciples in a moment where they feel really troubled, he's already started to communicate to them the fact that he's going to die. And, and that's stressing them out because they've been following this guy for years and they don't want him to die because they need him as their leader. And they're still confused about all the events that are going to take place in this Passion Week where we celebrate Easter and so like Thomas speaks to and says, Lord, we don't know the way that you're going. And so Jesus answered him and says, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That's an only statement. Jesus is communicating to them. I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. Nobody gets to God but through me. And he goes on and he says these words in verse 7. I want to highlight him. He says, if you really know me. If you really know me, if we've not just been hanging out as acquaintances, if you've just not been making false assumptions about me for the past couple of years, if you really know me, if you've been really understanding the things that I've been trying to tell you all along the way, if you really know me, you will know my father. He's talking about God, almighty creator of the whole universe. Like you will know my father as well. And then he says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him The disciples were troubled. That that word in Greek literally means anxious and depressed. We all know what that feels like from time to time. And they're they're literally stressed out by all the things that Jesus was saying. And he offers them comfort in the moment and says to them, hey, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to tell you what the way is. I'm it. You don't have to figure out alternative routes. You don't have to look for other plans. I'm the way to the Father. Nobody gets there but through me. It's one-way access. And then he says, hey, by the way, if you have... If you see me, if you believe me, if you know me, then you also know God. Like, you, you know God. You have a relationship with him from now on, from this point forward. You, you've, you've seen Jesus, then that means that you've seen God. Sum it all up. It's only Jesus. His whole purpose is to pave a way for people to know God so that they could be made right with God. Why would we want to be right with God? It's because of sin in our life. Sin that started in a garden that separated us from him, man's selfishness, deciding to do things our own way, creating a rift between us and God that always had to be reckoned that always had to be fixed. God always had a plan to make himself known to people. So he chose the Israelites and he gave them this system. He gave them this law so that they could understand him. And he gave them this sacrificial system so that annually on the regular, they would take a, a, an animal and the blood of it and they would shed it over an altar. And, and by the blood sacrifice of that animal, all the sins of the community up to that point, that year would be forgiven. And Jesus came to be the once and final for all sacrifice so that all of that Old Testament scripture of like like, like obedience. Obedience versus disobedience and the cycled in and out of israel being good to god and not good to god and the sacrifices that had to be ensued along the way like jesus came as a fulfillment of all of that foreshadowing so that once and for all mankind's sin could be atoned for it's the greatest theological concept in 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 like not our time but like ever substitutionary atonement that that someone would die as a substitute in my place. So God himself through the Jews and through this line of history came and provided a once and for all sacrifice. And if you believe in God, then you believe in his son, Jesus. And if you believe in his son, Jesus, then you have connected with God. It's in your worship guide, if you're a person that likes to take notes and follow along, that, that, that Jesus ultimately came to show us God. God. And you could fill in that blank with anything that you want to fill it. Like, whatever you're most comfortable filling that blank with, you could say, like, Jesus came to show us love. That's a great thing. Put that down. Or, or you can write down, no, but Jesus came to give us peace or to show us peace. That's a great thing. You can write that down. Like, Jesus came to offer us forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential. You can, you can write that down. But ultimately, if you don't understand that Jesus came to show us who God is, we're missing something. Because all the love and all the peace and all the hope and all the forgiveness in the world does not truly come into our lives until we understand that Jesus Christ is the crucified and ultimately resurrected Son of God who came to show us our Father. So it happened. Jesus was um, arrested. He was tried by Caiaphas. He was tried by the Roman government under Pontius Pilate. He was offered as a sacrifice and Passover customs said that they would present a couple of criminals in the middle of the moment and that the crowd could select who they would free as almost a gift and an offering and an act of worship during that season of life. And so they they bring this notorious criminal up named Barabbas and they bring this this, this Jesus up and, and Pontius Pilate and the other guys, I think, I think they're fairly certain that in the moment that Jesus is going to be freed. Barabbas probably thinks, I mean, I'm going down for this. He's far more innocent. I'm a hated man. And the crowd begins to chant, Barabbas, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Like, let's free him. And, and that means, what, what, what are we going to do with Jesus? And they shout, crucify him, crucify him. And so it happens. Jesus is beaten. It's an ugly, ugly beating. Jesus is, is nailed to a cross. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly execution. And he hangs there and he dies. And then we land here in John 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that's an important thing to note, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She t- went to take burial spices, according to the book of Mark. She wanted to anoint the body, so she went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And this is kind of a great hint, because it's, its oh, John's just hinting, like, it's, it's John, me, you know, I'm the one writing the book and I'm the one that Jesus loved. Like, I just want to, like, I'm his best friend forever. Like you guys can all be Jesus's friends, but I'm the best friend. Like kids do that, right? Well, here's these like 30 something year old men saying, yeah, I'm the best friend. Like I'm the, I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. And he says, they had married to Magdalene tells him they have taken the Lord out of the tomb And we don't know where they have put him. Like, she doesn't get it at this point. She thinks that somebody just moved the body. Like, somebody took him down. The book of Matthew tells us, like, why the body was there in the first place. Because these crucified, like, the Roman streets used to be, like laden with people who were crucified and they would just get this big pit burial where lots of bodies would be disposed of in the moment. But here in this time, like Jesus is buried in an actual tomb and because it was customary that if somebody, a family or a relative or someone who had means in life was able to take and dispose of the body, the Romans would allow it to happen. And so this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, he has a nice tomb. He, he asks for Jesus's body and they grant it. And so, It's carved out of a a cave and a stone is rolled in front of it. And so she comes back and she's like, the stone's moved, the body's gone. So Peter, verse three, and the other disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved the most, started for the tomb. I love this detail. Both were running, but the other disciple, the one that the BFF, the one that Jesus loved, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Why is this in the Bible? Like, why is this? Like, why are we allowed to all of a sudden brag in scripture? I'm the faster runner. He likes me better and I run faster than you. Like, if I was Peter, I would be so depressed in the moment. It's oh, it's because I ate that extra fried chicken. Like, whatever, like, whatever reason. It's like, no, I got like a cramp. I don't know what the excuse that he would have made in the moment, but John wants to make very clear. He got there first. It says that he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, like what took you so long? Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. This is not the work of hurried grave robbers. They're neatly folded within. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple... Like, as a reminder, who had reached the tomb first? Like, I got there first. Finally, the other disciple, you didn't know the Bible was funny. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And then parentheses, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And it says they went back to where they were staying. I don't know how I would have responded in that moment to find, like, the body missing. I don't know if I would have gone straight to the guards who had been placed there. They had been placed there because the Jews were worried that the disciples would come and try to steal the body. So the book of Matthew tells us that they placed a guard at the tomb. They, like, put it on guard so that nobody could come and roll the stone away and try to steal the body. And the Bible says that they sealed it with the Roman seal, which meant that if you come and you break this seal, it's punishable by death. This was the most heavily guarded tomb of some jewish guy everybody knew he was more than just that and so these guys they they find that jesus is missing i don't know what i would have done in that moment but they just went back to where they were staying and says no mary she stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. It's literally that they're clothed in lightning, seated where Jesus' body had been. I don't know how Simon Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, who was the faster runner, I don't know how they missed the two guys seated there in white, covered in lightning, but, but they missed it, and, and that wasn't there for them. But Mary, she saw it, and, and they asked her, verse 12, 13, woman why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. So no more guys in light, but this time she sees Jesus, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Well, it was dark. Remember that detail? Still dark outside. Maybe she couldn't see very well. Maybe she like had like a degenerative immaculate, like maybe, and and, like vision wasn't like the best thing for her right then. Like there was no chance for her to go to like an optometrist and get some bifocals and like be able to see like, like there, this guy standing in the distance, or maybe it's that she'd been doing like the ugly cry and like her mascara was running and she just couldn't see anymore because everything was so hazy and fuzzy. But she looked at Jesus and, and she did not know that it was him. And so verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, just her name, Mary. And there are moments in my life when my yes was really bold. Yes, I believe that you're alive, Jesus. And I knew that he, Nick. there's moments in my life, box over my head, not really sure of what I'm being asked. And I'm just like, a sheepish. Yes. Do you believe me enough to follow me? Yes. Do Do you believe me enough to tell others about me? Yes. Do you believe me enough to take a big, huge risk? I don't know. Yes. And I hear... Those like the, the voice of God. Nick, Mary, she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means teacher. There's only there's only one other moment when when that word appears in the Greek New Testament. It's in in Mark chapter ten when Jesus heals a blind guy named Bartimaeus, and I love the connection point because. Yeah, Jesus healed a blind guy, and now he's taken away a piece of the blindness from this girl, Rabboni. She recognized him. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. This is the first time that the disciples, the follower of Jesus, have now been called brothers. And tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. How are we brothers? Well, we got the same dad. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. If you've seen Jesus, then you've seen God. If you know Jesus, then you know God. Mary Magdalene went to the other disciples, those brothers with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. It's kind of a miracle for half the people in the room that it was women who initially found out that jesus had been resurrected it was a big deal it's a big deal because this jesus was as a powerful powerful advocate for women in that world and women whose testimony would not have held up in court who weren't allowed to make an accusation that would hold up in a court system in either culture the jewish or the roman the women's testimony did not count how embarrassing and how enlightening that in uh, of anyone that New Testament writers could have celebrated being the first ones to proclaim that Jesus is alive, I have seen him, was a woman. If we were making this up, if there was some kind of divine conspiracy, if the guys huddled around in a room and said, let's just hide the body and we'll tell everyone that he came back to life. What's the most convincing thing that we could do to get people to believe that Jesus came back to life? We'll get some women to be the first. No way. You wanna know how this is real? Because if these people had gotten together to pull off some sort of conspiracy to like for all of human history, put the wool over our eyes and the box over our head, they would not have allowed a woman to have been the first one. Chances are a woman of ill repute to be the first one to walk in and recognize the living Lord Jesus. But there she is. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he said these things to her. You know, the first thing I I note in this passage of scripture is all the moments in my life when I've looked for Jesus, but I came up empty. Have you, have you, have you felt like you literally looked for Jesus, but ever came up empty sometimes? And we want to blame the Bible for that. We want to blame the church for that. We want to blame our grandmother for that. Like, well, I looked for Jesus. I looked for the Jesus that you told me about, but I didn't find him. I came up empty. Sometimes when we come up empty, looking for Jesus, it's because we're looking in the wrong place. They were looking in a grave, He's not here. He's risen. If you look for Jesus in the wrong place, you may not find Jesus there. If you're looking for just the the famous words, Jesus, then you're looking for a dead one. If you're looking for just the kind, loving example, Jesus, then you're looking for a dead Jesus. See, we want Jesus to condone our sin. Instead of atone for our sin. That's that's dead Jesus. When we're, we're looking for Jesus to validate us. Rather than glorify himself, we're, we're looking for dead Jesus. Like this moment in history when Jesus was alive, they're looking for him, but they're looking in the wrong place. Maybe there's a moment in your life when, when you've been looking for Jesus. You've been looking for something about this word to come alive in you and to comfort you and to give you a peace and a hope, but you don't want it to be a comforting word that would actually cause you to change or cause you to follow or cause you to step out on risk and faith and do something different with your life. Like that's a little bit too far. Like I just want something to make me feel better in the morning. If you just want something to make you feel better in the morning, then you're looking for Jesus in the wrong place. You're looking for dead Jesus. You're not going to find him. You're looking for Jesus who said great things. You're looking for Jesus who taught people good stuff. You're looking for Jesus who was killed and stayed that way. But if you're looking for a Jesus that you can follow, you're looking for Jesus that's alive. You're not going to find him in a grave. Have you ever looked for him and came up empty? Maybe you've been like Peter and John, you know, BFF, the one that he loved and was also a faster runner. Like Maybe you've, you've seen some evidence, like a missing body, like freshly folded linen cloths, like you've seen this evidence of Jesus, but in in some way you decided to stay stuck exactly where you are. They went right back to where they were. They'd seen all kinds of evidence miracles casting out demons crippled people walking people with leprous skin diseases who lived as social outcasts were made whole and they came home blind people people that were even born blind could see deaf people could hear storms were calm peter got to walk on water fish and loaves they were multiplied to feed thousands and thousands of people he explained old testament scripture in a way that people could understand it and not just understand it but believe that he was authoritative over it he he talked about the misinterpretations and the abuses of old testament law he stood up against arrogant oppressors in a way that no one else in the community could. They had seen evidence after evidence after evidence, but if they had really known Jesus, they would have been hiding in a room or looking around in a cave. They would have known that he was alive and gone back to the temple courts to see if he had returned to teach. They would have known, well, he must be alive again. So why don't we go back into the garden? Because it's one of the last places that we were actually all together. And maybe he's back there again praying. Or or maybe we need to go back to the seashore where he called us for the first time. But surely he's not in a grave. And surely we don't need to be huddled around in a room scared for what's going to happen next. They had seen so much evidence. Maybe you've seen evidence. Evidence of the goodness of God in your own life, or the goodness of God in your family's life, or the goodness of God in the life of this church or in this community. Maybe there's unexplainable things that have happened, like evidence upon evidence that God is good and that Jesus loves you. Loves you. But Something about that has been so hard to understand that you just decided to stay stuck where you were. Instead of going where he was, maybe you've seen some evidence like, yeah, I know he's not there, but I'm not quite sure I want to go where he is. Or maybe like Mary in the story, you know, doing the ugly cry over in the corner and you see Jesus, but just you fail to recognize the resurrected Lord. Ultimately, because his resurrected body looked a little bit different than his beaten initial one. He was made new. He was made whole. There was something perfect about him. It's something so uh, so recognizable yet unrecognizable about him. So there was something about the resurrected Jesus that was different, but when he said her name, she knew who he was. So maybe there's a moment when Jesus has been real to you. You're eight or nine or ten or 20 or 21 or 30 or 40 or, you know, whatever age you want. Like, at some point, Jesus has been real, but then, then some life happened, some days happened, some distance happened, and you don't quite recognize Jesus anymore. Well, he recognizes you. He might call you by name. In John 10:10 10, 10, it says that his sheep know his voice. He speaks. There may be something unrecognizable about this resurrected Jesus, but when he speaks, if you really know him, you will recognize him then. Everything we do in life, um, everything that we say yes to about Jesus, hinges on an empty tomb and a risen body. Everything. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, And if Christ has not been raised Our preaching is useless and so is your faith if christ has not been raised We do not need to be here about my university this morning If christ has not been raised, I need to go back to school and study something different and get a new job If christ has not been raised You could have saved some money at the coals and not bought something. You may only wear once on a sunday If christ has not been raised, why are we? Why are we gathered together doing any of this? everything that we believe about the remainder of this book everything that we understand about the good words in it hinges upon an empty tomb because jesus is not there there is a risen body it is the most paramount thing that we must believe in order to be saved paul wrote to the romans that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that he died no that's part of it for sure But believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. We want to know what our salvation hinges on. It hinges on a fact that Jesus would die in our place. But it hinges on the fact that we would believe that he came back to life. Later on in that chapter... Jesus appears in the room where the disciples are, where they're, where they're like hunkered down and kind of waiting to see what happens next. Mary Magdalene comes in. She says, Jesus called you brothers. He told me all these things. And then, and then and Jesus shows up and Thomas is standing there almost not recognizing him as well. And having this moment, Jesus looks at Thomas, the guy that said, show us the way that you're going. We don't know the way. Like, we're just confused, we're concerned, people call me doubtful, like, what does it mean, Jesus? And, and he looks and doesn't quite understand that that's the Lord, and Jesus looks at him and says, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you've believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it's kind of a question for us is that will your believing precede your seeing? Because we're not hunkered down in the same room thousands of years ago waiting for the Lord Jesus to appear to us with the other disciples who were confused about where he went in the first place. We're thousands of years later after testimony upon testimony of his goodness being asked, will we believe in a resurrection? Will we believe in a risen Jesus? Will we believe in the power of an empty tomb even without touching the hands and feeling the side? Because if we are, the Bible says that we are blessed. Will your believing in Jesus precede your seeing? Will you give him a yes even though you can't see the fullness of the question? That's what Easter Sunday is. I want you to hear from a guy at one of our campuses who recently gave Jesus his, his full-on yes um, and, and just see the power of that transformed life as we close our service today. My name's Corey Lipke. I grew up in a
1: small little town in Ohio called Maria Stein. My wife's Haley, and then we have a little two-year-old, Jack's. Life growing up was fun. I think uh, I had a, a fun childhood. We were, uh, we were busy our parents kept us busy with school and school and sports and work, kind of in that order. <laughs> we were all Roman Catholics. Um, you know, good God-fearing people, I think. We kind of went on Sundays and checked it off the list and then kind of went back to the rest of the week. I think we were good rule followers, but I don't know how deep our relationship ever felt with, you know, with God. My career side started, I guess in high school, my dad was a basketball coach, and I loved basketball and and football, and baseball was always kind of my the thing I played because it was the spring, and that's what everybody else was doing. But I always enjoyed it. You know, even the end of my high school and through all through college, um, I you know school was always a priority. But baseball was about the other 99%. <laughs> it was hard for me to turn that off, I guess. And then when you go into the minor leagues, kind of the same thing you're playing almost 200 games a year now and it was um, it was hard for me to you know wake up and not think about it, go to sleep and not think about it. I felt like I had control. I felt like you know I can do this. like I, I can learn these pitches, I can get to the next level and I just didn't depend on anybody but myself to figure things out and um, I think the majority of my career I kinda felt the same way. You know I thought my whole life this is what I was waiting for. You know, (laughs) like, um, finally baseball was over, you know, we had some time or we didn't have to work and I got to travel see friends and you know, do everything I haven't been able to do my whole life, but there was just something still wrong. I have a great wife that I, I feel like I don't deserve and I got a, you know, a great, healthy two-year-old and something's still missing, like something's not there, something's wrong. Earlier this summer, we had a, a family friend of ours we lost, he was our football coach and had three kids and just had got um, a brain cancer and, you know, it took him really quick and I just remember thinking, oh, I met God unexpectedly. Right now, I don't like what I'd have to tell him as far as what I've done with my life to um, kind of further His kingdom. You know, being a good person and having a good career isn't isn't enough. And I know it's not enough. It wasn't till I started, you know, being more active with the church and starting to, you know, read the Bible every morning. And uh, you, know, next, you know, I joined the Bible study, and we we're in a community group now, and. Uh, got to just keep putting people into our lives that have just made a you know unbelievable difference with, with me and my wife I grew up being Catholic where I was you know baptized as an infant yeah you know, I'm, I'm glad I was but it's for me this is kind of my my choice my the time that that I want to do it I feel like I'm ready to start making him a a part of you know every aspect of my life. Kind of surrendered I think might be the right word. I've just never felt like through my career I wanted to ever feel weak. And I think when you think of surrender I just felt like you know felt weak. But I think for me just surrendering to God, surrendering to Jesus is um, my way of just turning it over. You know kind of giving up the steering wheel. Getting baptized to me means I know what's important in my life now, and you know it's God, it's Jesus, and uh, I want them to start being number one, um, my number one priority. I feel silly; it took that this long to get to this point. (laughs) You know, I'm 34 now, but uh, you know, I know I know it's better late than never, and um, I think He has a a plan for me and Haley. And I think, um, you know, the more the more we live in it, the more we uh, you know keep grinding at Scripture, and I think. with the people he keeps bringing into our lives, whether it's our you know, our community group, our Bible study, and even people at Rolling Hills, it's feeling like he's setting us up to do something and to further his kingdom, and uh, I
0: think that's got us excited. Some of y'all are trying to figure out how you could retire at 34. Um, I-, I love the idea that um, God orchestrated some circumstances in his life to put a very powerful question in, in front of this fella, and... He said, yes. And for so many of us, sometimes that yes involves a literal surrender, a giving up of ourselves and to say, okay, God, you do what you want to do and you take this life that you've given me back and and I want to give it to you that starts with accepting and trusting that Jesus is who scripture says he is. He, He is who the disciples claim him to be. He is who... That woman encountered him and knew he was the living, resurrected Lord Jesus. And I want you to say yes to that. I talked about this earlier in the service on the perforated tear out connection card and everyone's worship guide this morning. You have a pen. You can do this. It's a it's a chance just to kind of do a little spiritual inventory, an, an, an annual assessment to say, hey, where am I? Maybe somebody's checking off that A box because it means, okay, today's the day. Um, box over my head. I still don't know everything that's lying out there in front of me, but I am willing to say yes to Jesus, accept him and trust him with my life. Maybe like Corey, somebody's out there going, okay, I've I've accepted it. Now I want to proclaim it. I want to profess it. I want to declare it in front of other people by following through with a believer's baptism that tells the story of what Jesus did by dying and coming back to life. And I'm going to, I'm going to say yes to that, but not just yes to the temporary version of that, but yes to following that forever. Yes maybe it's uh, just maybe you're already a connected committed growing christ follower and and you'd like to somehow do that here in this body of believers we, we just welcome you and would love for you to be a part of the great things that god is doing here maybe it's that you just that d option you still got questions you want to talk to somebody to figure out what it means to to really believe what these words say and to really understand who that resurrected jesus is here recently um, a very good friend of ours, was FaceTiming with her 94, not 34, 94-year-old grandfather. And... uh her kids were running around playing and they caught grandpa on the screen and they were saying hey and they get he couldn't he couldn't believe that he can facetime his granddaughter and her her two boys his great-grandsons and and they had been having conversations around their house about how he's aging how he's getting sick and the mom was very honest in front of her kids to say yes yes he doesn't he doesn't know and have jesus in his life he's a very intellectual man who's lived his whole life really opposed to what Scripture says, and opposed to the God of the Bible that professes Jesus Christ as a risen Lord and the only way. And so one of the little boys just said, old Papa, is Jesus in your heart? And uh, the elderly gentleman said, well, I hope so. And the granddaughter said, well, I just love you and I want to tell you how you can know so. And over FaceTime, oh, modern, thank you. Wow. She was able to lead her 94-year-old grandfather to say the name Jesus and to give him his yes the month didn't even finish before that 94 year old man met jesus and i'm i'm so thrilled to say that he had three weeks of believing that preceded his seeing i hope Corey gets 50 years of believing that precedes his seeing and and we want the same for you. Will you give Jesus your yes? At this time, I'd like to invite ushers to come forward. This is a time when, when and those of us who call this our church home, we participate in an act of worship called Giving Um, we support the mission of God's work in this community. We pool our resources together and say, Jesus, use these in a way to bless others in our community in a way that we certainly couldn't do by ourselves. And as the basket passes, what I invite you to do is to deposit that connection card and and whatever box you've checked on the back of it to, to accept or be baptized or to remain committed. Whatever God is doing in your life, where is your yes? Father, we ask that you would be honored by our giving and ultimately, Jesus, that you would be glorified by the fact that we have said your name today and that we've said it in belief. I pray for anyone in this room who has struggled with that who has questioned that, who has doubted that, is that somehow by the power of your spirit today, you have invited them in spite of the unanswered parts of our faith. You have invited them and inspired them and empowered them to give you their yes. We love you and we'll continue, we'll continue to say your name. We'll say that it's above every name. We'll say that you're the only way. We'll say that we completely trust you. You can have our yes forever because you're Jesus because you're not a dead martyr you are a risen living Savior yes as we go today God we ask that you would continue to do the kind of work in our lives that you want to do and continue to develop us into being the kind of people that you've called us to be we trust you and we tell you that by the power of your good name Jesus.